And I still troll you so hard with those images. Every time you talk a little bit of noise, you know, I just, you know, go to Google, type in Damien Lillard game winner. You know, I have to sort through a few because he's hit so many. Up. All right, everybody. Welcome to the preseason recap edition of our Holy Backboard podcast. I'm Dustin. I'm Sage, a.k.a. Captain Pregnant Paws. <laughs> and Matt, he was doing grown-up things. He was on vacation. Missed a little bit of the preseason, but he's going to be with us Wednesday night. We're going to podcast directly after the Blazers-Pelicans home opener, which, you know, I can't believe is 48 hours away. Every year, it seems like the season starts sooner and sooner. Probably because I'm 30 and getting older, but whatever. I'll take it. I'm ready for Blazers basketball. How about you, Sage? I'm definitely ready for Blazers basketball. It's going to be exciting to see what this team can do. Over the weekend, I actually visited my grandma and grandpa, who were one of the main reasons why I became such a huge Trailblazer fan back in the day, so I've got them to thank. Every time I go there, I always sit down in at least two hours. We're just talking sports, 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 and a lot of it is the Trailblazers, and my papa had pretty much the best way to describe the 2015-16 Trailblazers, just reckless, mm -hmm. but it was fun. They're just out there. They're playing, and you really don't know what's going to happen, which makes it so entertaining. And after Thursday's game against the Clippers in L.A., which saw the Trailblazers go up 64-29, uh, to only to lose a 35-point lead in the second half, I've never seen two 35-point swings in the game, and that's pretty much what I think we can see from the Blazers this season. I I'm thankful we didn't podcast right afterwards. Oh, I was you would have been so emotional. I would have been grumps. Um, I'm not going to lie. Like, I really wanted to get this, this preseason podcast out so people could listen to it over the weekend. But you, I took that like a regular season loss. I was, I tweeted out like I was sick to my stomach. That's an unacceptable loss. I still feel that way. That's just what's going to be the Trailblazer season. There's going to be a lot of highs and a lot of lows. Because we have such a young team, there's not going to be even Steven. We're going to see the Blazers win a lot of games they have no business winning, and unfortunately, we're going to see them lose a lot of games that they had no business losing, and I think this preseason was is really a precursor of what's to become of, of them. You know, they went 3-4, and four, looked just amazing in the first half against the Sacramento Kings, dominated the defending champs by 17 points, and even went into Utah and won without Lillard, but, you know, as we saw, didn't really come out with much intensity against the Lakers lost on a last-second dunk, and then the highs of the first half against the Clippers and the lows of the second half. And I think the biggest question mark or area of concern for me is, one, transition defense, and two, interior scoring. What do you, what do you see, Sage? I agree with the defense. I think the Blazers will be a top-10 offense, but a bottom-five defense. Yeah, and when you, I was watching that, that Clipper game, what really stood out was how quickly they turned the tide, and it was almost off of turnovers, which led to fast breaks, and especially against a team that features Chris Paul and Blake Griffin and Lob City. They erased that deficit really quick. I mean, let's just be honest. Um, it went from 35 to 21 in a hurry, and I turned around and I, I told my wife, I was like, we're losing this game. You could just see it, and unfortunately, the only two players that really didn't have a deer in their headlights looks 
were Dame and CJ, and that's why they ended up taking in the majority of the shots. But with such a young team, that's kind of what's going to happen, and it's to be expected. That's why they're called growing pains. We brought in a lot of players who aren't accustomed to getting big minutes. Even even CJ and Myers, who played in the playoffs, didn't really start until the end. I know Myers didn't. And so there are going to be a lot of bumps in the road this year. You just got to roll with the punches. My biggest concern is actually roster construction. Okay. What do you mean? Because it seems like we were doing small ball and we're doing traditional ball. Like I can see that. I think Mo Harkless is more of a small ball four. Same with Aminu. And then we signed Ed Davis and we traded for Miles Plumley. You got to get the twins right, Sage. Oh, sorry. Did no, I say it's Mason. Uh, you said Miles. We got Mason. We got Mason. Excuse me. Well, we traded for Mason and signed Ed Davis. It's more of like a traditional basketball type of lineup. I'm curious to see what was on the table with the 23rd pick. If we could have gotten like a small forward that can shoot, how this team would be different. And I think with the, I think we needed to choose which we were going to do, small ball or traditional. So that's my biggest thing. I completely agree with that play devil's advocate or to put myself in Neil Olshay's shoes, I would say he is just generating assets at this point. Mm-hmm. He saw the 23rd pick and he mentioned that he and Billy King had come to an agreement beforehand if Rondé Hollis Jefferson was there that Brooklyn would be willing to offer XYZ. That happened to be Mason Plumley and Pat Connaughton. I really do think he's going to get with the Clippers when he moved a few pieces for that elite prize in Chris Paul. Um, thankfully for the Trailblazers, a lot of their young guys are performing well. So hopefully sooner rather than later, he's able to go after that disgruntled superstar with this plethora of assets. And with roster construction, this is basically, do you prefer to have players that are similar in skill? Like with Myers, perimeter finesse player. And then you got Noah Vonley. And then you got Ed Davis and uh, Mason, who are very similar in their skill set. Is that what you would have preferred, or would you prefer more diverse skill sets? I think, in general, if you can get a player, and he's that five-tool guy, he can rebound, he can shoot, he can score, he can assist, run the break, you strive to find as many of those guys as you can. I liken that to Portland, in my opinion, the best trailblazer of all time is Clyde Drexler, and he could do it all. He was filling up the stat sheets, he could play the one, two, three sometimes even the four, and they you get your best player and you surround him with complimentary pieces. I think that's what we need to do with Lillard. But to answer your question, I would prefer a diverse skill set. I think the more ways you can put stress on a defense, the better it is. Because if they know that, just I'm just taking him for example, Ed Davis is in the game, you know he's not going to shoot outside of the paint and he's really not going to have any plays ran for him. But if you could get a guy like Again, I'm just throwing names out there. Dirk Nowitzki, in his prime, he's going to either post up, he's either going to come off curls, off screens, off flares. You don't know where it's coming from. And usually what you see with championship caliber teams is they have a handful of those guys, and it just makes, it's a defensive coach's nightmare to try to defend for that. Well, just think, even better players, Stockton and Malone, you knew what they were going to do. They are going to run a high pick and roll, and Malone was going to flare to his spot. Exactly. But speaking of, you know, how the roster is created, the balance, what really kind of worries me is we do not have a back-to-the-basket player. Not even a guy like Wesley Matthews or Aaron Aflalo, who were, I would say, by guard standards, average at posting up. And I noticed while watching a lot of the games, 
is even the bigs, they're not even in the paint during the plays that are being ran. So you're going to see a lot of offense initiated in the perimeter, and the most of the paint scoring is going to be off dribble penetration. So if Lillard or McCollum aren't in the game, it's just going to be really difficult for the Blazers to muster up offense. As we saw in the preseason, when the three is not dropping, that's when Portland's offense is really, really struggling. What do you make of that? Do you think Stotts is doing the best he can, or should they try to run some more plays for a guy like Noah Vonley in the post? I don't think he is there yet. I think the offense is going to have to run through Damian every time, and he's a, he and CJ will have to make the decisions. I don't think Noah's ready for like numerous plays ran for him, at least from what I've heard on the radio. Yeah, again, I would agree with that. He has shown that he's so long and he's, he's active. I really He's got a bounce to him. And he's made a couple of nice moves. And in a season like this where we're basing success off of player development, I say, you know, what the hell. Let, let's give him a couple sets. Give him a couple plays so you're not overwhelming a young player. Let's say, you know, you got the ball in the block. Go to the triple threat. Mm-hmm. You know, shoot, pass. Or, or drive. So that's what I would like to see. On an earlier podcast, I, I kind of questioned if the Trailblazers were going to continue to shoot as many threes as they as they had in the past. I know Stotts said, you know, they're not going to stop shooting threes. We both looked at each other and kind of, you know, shrugged. Like, how is that possible? You lost Aflalo and Matthews and Batum. All of those guys knocked down three-point shooters. And in the case of, of Wesley Matthews, one of the NBA's mm-hmm. elite. Even LaMarcus Aldridge, he was able to stretch the defense in his last year, but the Trailblazers, they're, they're going to continue to fire it up from three. Um, they took 211 threes this preseason. That was sixth most. They made 75 of them, which is a 35.5% clip. So uh, the percentage was, was 12th best. So overall, not bad and probably a little bit better than I expected when you consider you have guys like Maurice Harkless, who shot 18% from three last year. Um, Alan Crabb, who, even though he's a great shooter in practice, probably isn't used to the bulk of his shots coming from three in a regular game setting. I noticed that Mo Harkless, like, he does not threaten the defense at all with his shooting. I saw his man basically doing the Andrew Bogut role in the playoffs. So, I'm, Terry's thinking, we're going to shoot threes. I'm worried about who's shooting the threes from the small forward. To be fair, he only took 12 attempts in the preseason. He made five of them, so that's, that's 42% right there. If you can't make a standalone three in the short corner, you probably aren't good enough to play in the NBA. That's a shot that all players on the wing really need to have in their arsenal. Mm-hmm. And he, he proved in FanFest as well as the preseason that he's capable of making that shot. Obviously, you don't want him taking probably more than one or two a game. He's much more... He's much more of a threat when he's dribbling and attacking the basket, getting the free throw line, creating for others, than just you know simply standing around and shooting at three. But over the course of the year, I think he's going to develop into that threat from, from beat. But your defenses are going to pay if they're going to either trap Damian or CJ and leave Harkless open in that short corner. I'm seeing small ball four when I watch him play. I mean, I think that's another great asset about Harkless. I think he can do both, just like Aminu. Um, I think we're going to see a lot of. I think we're going to see a lot of different lineups this year with this team because 
while you do have the, the traditional fives in like Ed Davis and Plumley, guys like Myers can play multiple positions. I think Harkless can. We know Lillard and McCall. So there, there's definitely options for Terry Stotts, and I think we're going to see lineups based upon matchups this season more so than just you know that that same starting five fans used to of of Lillard, Matthew Batum, Aldridge, and Lopez just ran out there every time. I think Stotts is really going to utilize um, the versatility of this team this season. But going back to the, the three point shot just a little bit in 2015. Portland, it, it seemed like they, they really, really lived by that three. I thought they shot too many. I thought, one, they dumped it into Aldridge too much, and two, they did a lot of uh, quick threes, unassisted threes, just threes early in the shot clock, especially in the Memphis season. But they were, you know, they made 807, which was sixth best in the NBA, but they attempted 2,231, third most. I mean, to me, I can't even believe that's third most. I, I don't know how Houston was able to jack up that many more, but you know, kudos to you, Kevin McHale. You really did just let your team wheel and deal. However, if you go to the preseason, Portland's on pace to take 33 threes a game, but they're also on pace to make 11, 878 threes made. That would be good enough for third if we're going by last year's numbers, and they're on pace to shoot nearly 2,500 threes, which would still have not eclipsed the Rockets last year, but still 2,500 threes is, that's 11% increase from last year. So, the team is, as Terry Stott said, they're not going to take less. They're going to, in fact, shoot more. I think I'm going to have to live with it because, like I said, there's just no back-to-the-basket score. And mm. as long as the threes aren't early in the shot clock or they're unassisted, as long as they come off of movement, I've got no problem. Portland's got shooters, and we've seen the good, we've seen the bad. I think this is just going to have to be a year where we live and die by the three. And that's kind of, I think that's what Rip City's going to have to accept. Who do you think the best screener of the bigs are? I think Ed Davis sets pretty pretty mean screens. In the half court, you need to set, you need some space Oh, I setting t- screens. 100% you need to run an offense in the half court, but I, I, I don't think they're going to, you know, kind of be like that ground and pound if we're taking, you know, football, football term. They're going to be the run and gun. Push up the floor, which is kind of going to be the complete opposite of what we've seen from past Terry Stott's teams, but I think that also had a lot to do with, you know, Robin Lopez and Marcus Aldridge. You substitute those out, you've got Myers Leonard and Mason Plumley, two of the most athletic seven-footers in the game for, you know, their respective positions. You're going to see Lillard and McCollum push that pace. As long as they can get stops on the defensive end, I think good things are going to happen. It's all going to start for this team on defense. I think we're going to give up probably like 107, 108 points per game. Mm-hmm. Wherever that ranks us, it's definitely going to be. If there's if there's tiers of ten, you know, top ten, middle mm-hmm. ten, bottom ten, I think we're definitely in the bottom ten. Mm-hmm. Uh, unfortunately, there's just not enough. There's just not enough defense. Yeah. I mean, Aminu brings it. Vonley has potential, but you look at guys like Lillard, McCollum, Crab, Connaughton, Plumley. Their calling cards are offense. That's what they're known for. Whether it's shooting or off the pick and roll, those are their strengths. I, like I said, I think really only Aminu, you would say his strength is his defense. Henderson. And Henderson plays, I would say, scrappy defense. But again, I think he's more of a guy who's known as a, as a slasher getting to the basket and, and creating offense. But that's what's going to be expected. You know, your young team. I mean, there needs to be an over-under on this podcast how many times we say young team. That's just what they are. That's the nature of the beast. We went from one of the more veteran teams, so I believe we're the third youngest. Usually, defense and young teams do not, you know, match up very well. One one is not like the other. But how how about Damian Lillard? He plays five of the seven preseason games, and he averages 26 points per game, leads all scores in the preseason you think his usage rate is going to be just incredible this year. I agree. But can't, does he have a real shot at the scoring title this year? I don't think so. Well, who do you, what, what number do you think take? 30, 31 points per game? 
I was going to say like 27. 27? Well, because I think Lillard can easily get 26 a night with this roster. Yeah, I think so too. But 30 is a so, lot. Oh, I agree. Yeah. I, I think he's got a couple competitors. Um, obviously, Carmelo. James Harden is going to put up ridiculous numbers. And you got Steph Curry. I would have said Russell, but I think that team is so loaded and evenly. And Kevin Durant's coming back. So I, I do think, and I'll even give you some love. I think Anthony Davis yeah, has a chance. I think this first month he's going to he's going to leave he, the league. He's a beast. There's no denying that. But I think Lillard's in the top 5. If you're looking for for guys to put up just crazy stats and just not not take wins into consideration, I think Lillard's got to be one of the guys. Oh yeah. The one thing I would say about Lillard that I would like to see improved is the percentage of shots. He was 42 of 105 this preseason. That's only 40%. That needs to be a lot higher. He was only 11 of 39 from three-point range, 28%. And if you look at him from his rookie year all the way through 2015, he shot 37% his rookie year. He shot 39% in 2014, and it dipped back down to 34% in 2015. So 2015 was his worst statistical year from three, and he's even shooting much worse than that preseason. I read a lot of forums and that's one of the main topics, is what happened to Lillard's three. He's prone to taking a lot of pull-up threes, a lot of quick threes, and a lot of DDD threes. So I believe that has something to do with it. And maybe last year had to do with his hand or wrist injury that he sustained against the Pacers late in that game that probably lingered over into the rest of the regular season in the playoffs. But for whatever reason, he just hasn't been that lights-out shooter that he once was. Uh, do you see him coming back? Do you see him rebounding from that, Sage? I don't, actually. I see him being less efficient this year than every other year, by far. Damien had all those great players going to help his efficiency. So not having him is, I think, going to hurt him. He's going to have to take more shots because there's more shots available. So I think he's going to have a, he's gonna have great scoring numbers, but efficiency-wise, he's going to be lower. I think I have to agree with you there as well. Boom. I mean, if you look at the preseason numbers, he's on pace to take 7.8 threes per game. You look at that over 82 games. 639 three-point attempts, that's a 12% increase over last year, and that's going into like Steph Curry territory for amount of threes attempted. Uh, the only thing is Steph's shooting about 42% from three, which is just freaking incredible, because he led the NBA in three-pointers attempted last year, 646. So he's really close there. I wouldn't be surprised if he does eventually lead the NBA in threes. Like you said, his usage rate is going to be through the roof this year. But one thing I want to talk about is... How amazing he has been from the free throw line. I didn't realize this, but he was 35 of 37. That's 95% from the line. That's Mark Price, Larry Bird, Steph Curry territory right there. If he can continue to get to the free throw line, because he's going to have off shooting nights. We saw the 3 of 18 night versus Golden State, but he got to the, the line double digit times and he made every single one of those. So I think Lillard getting to the line is a huge huge factor for the Trailblazers if they're going to want to win games because he's one of the only players that can really you know create off the dribble and slow the game down I think him penetrating is only going to be good have you ever heard of the Grantland Kobe assist where that sounds familiar basically Kobe's assist is when he penetrates and he misses but his teammate gets the ball and then scores that's a Kobe assist I think Damian Lillard's going to have a lot of Kobe assists this year. Well, I'd rather he have more hockey assists than Kobe assists, but I guess as long as the ball's well, going in. The like main highlight play in the last game was Ed Davis getting a putback after a Damian Lillard drive. So don't think of those as missed shots. 
think of them as potential Cobiuses, if you want to be optimistic. You know, we're, we're optimistic about this. Yeah. So, Cobiuses. Think of Cobiuses. Or Derek Rosesis, if you don't like Kobe. Same thing. One last thing about Dame. He, is ha- he does have a high usage rate. With that comes a lot of turnovers. Unfortunately, he had 19, 3.8 average in the preseason. He needs to probably get that down under three for, for my liking. I know he's going to have the ball in his hands an incredible mm-hmm. amount. Even if you look over the, the historical statistics, guys like Russell, Steve Nash, Kevin Durant, you have the ball in your hands a lot. You're going to make mistakes. So that's, you know, acceptable. What was his but, turnovers last year? So Damian Lillard, as a rookie, only averaged three turnovers a game, which was just one of many reasons why he was the unanimous pick as ROY. In 2014, got that number down to 2.4, and even last year, 2.7. So over the course of his career, he's only averaged 2.7 turnovers. Again, that, that was mainly with a, a veteran cast surrounding him. He's going to have defenses coming at him in droves. I wouldn't be surprised if Lillard gets trapped, doubled, tripled, just swarmed as soon as he crosses the half-court line this year as coaches are going to make the other trailblazers prove that they can beat them instead of you know letting Lillard go off 40, um, which is what I would do as a coach. So if we do see Lillard's turnovers get a little bit higher, that's why it's probably nothing to really freak out about. But if you can keep him under three for the season, I think that's a major win. But moving on to his uh, backcourt partner in crime, CJ McCollum, I was reading CBS Sports, and two of the four members of their panel pegged him as the NBA's most improved player. If we're handing out awards in October, he's probably, it's a biased pick, but I think he's he's got to be a top three choice for that, for that award. He's looked like a flat-out stud this preseason. I, I was... Unfortunately, my Ducks lost against Washington State, so my wife and I were driving home from Autzen, and the Trailblazers were playing at Sacramento. Turned the game on in the second quarter. Doesn't sound like things are going too well. I believe we're down 12 or 14 points at the half. All of a sudden, the third quarter picks up, and the Kings announcers, McCollum, jumper, in. McCollum for three. Splash. It was a clinic. He scored 19 points in the third quarter, and he is, I mean, I I wish Vinnie Johnson hadn't already coined the nickname the microwave, because that's what I would dub CJ. He is a microwave. He heats up in a hurry. I was at the Utah game where we made that comeback. Yes, I know it was against their scrubs, but it was still a great comeback, and he was just, he got locked in. He got in that zone, and it was a beautiful thing to watch. It was almost like watching a little vintage Brandon Roy, just the way he was able to get to the rim, use the dribble drive, and that stop on a dime mid-range jumper just brought back so many amazing memories. My uh, older brother texted and said, CJ is going nuclear right now. And I think that's the perfect way to describe what That was. That's exactly. That is spot on. So, you know, props to your brother. That was spot on. Yeah. His comments post-game, he said... You know, I came out a little bit soft. I was settling for the jumper. I kind of had to check myself. So often, we see players who do play soft. But for somebody to look themselves in the mirror at halftime and realize, yeah, I'm, you know, I'm Twinkie right now. I'm a Twinkie. I I can't, I'm not bringing it for my team. He comes and just, he takes the challenge personally. And he... He really led that charge. So I think that's a good mindset that you have from one of your better players to, you know, set the tone for the rest of the guys on the team. So overall, averaged 18.3 points per game this preseason. Nearly every time I watched an away broadcast, they mentioned that CJ McCollum needs to be on your fantasy radar. He should have been after that Memphis series, but if he wasn't, then he will be now. DFS too. But CJ, he's been lights out from three. 17 of 42. He shot 41%. Like I said, that's what Steph shoots. So... Mm. 
when somebody says they shoot 40% from three, that is locked and loaded. The defense knows it's going in most of the time when you leave him open. I don't know. I'm running out of superlative. I'm running out of, like, adjectives to describe him. But not only was CJ scoring well, he took care of the basketball. As we know, Neil O'Shea said he's going to be our backup point guard. He's going to get more responsibilities. He had 4.4 assists per game to 1.8 turnovers per game. That's amazing for a player who most thought was a strict two guard, could do nothing else but put the ball in the basket. Yes, he had a couple times where he dribbled into traffic. It's not going to be perfect. It's not going to be, you know, executed like Stockton and Malone every single time. But he did a pretty good job, I think, of balancing score mode versus, okay, I got to get my teammates involved. So big ups to CJ for doing that. I think, and this is not any any shocking news to anybody, but the Blazers are going to go as Lillard and McCollum goes. Combined for 44 points of the Blazers' offense, Portland averaged 104 points per game this preseason. So that's 43% of the offense. Does that surprise you, Sage? Do you think that number should be higher or lower, or does that that seem about right? That seems insanely high, but I think it should be higher. You know, it does seem incredibly high, but if you look at last year, LaMarcus and Dame accounted for 42 percent of the offense so they were responsible for 43 percent of the offense so we know Damian didn't play in two games so the five games that Lillard and McCollum both played Portland shot Portland attempted 454 field goals those two combined to take 182 of those shots so they accounted for 40 percent of the amount of attempts you go back last year Lillard and Aldridge they actually attempted more combined shots, 42% of the offense. So it should be nothing new for Trailblazer fans when two players are dominating the ball. We are going to see nights like the Clippers when they get shots. I mean, that's just what's going to happen. When you go up against an elite team, that means defenses are going to tighten up. And they have proven they can put the ball on the floor and score. So they're going to be the ones that are creating the offense. Sage, I think we need to come up with a catchy tune because we actually have a few fan questions. So it's mail time. We have a fan, super fan, at Kim Thrasher 11 wants to know, two, two-parter, Sage, two-party, you ready for this? Yeah. Predict the starting five. Also, what is the biggest plus coming out of the preseason? Damian, CJ, Alfarouk, Myers, and Mason. Yeah, I would go with that. Just based upon what we've seen from, from Terry th- mm. this preseason, Although it doesn't look like Al Farouk Aminu is going to be able to go for the opener, I'm leaning towards Harkless for the opening night starter over Alan Crabb just because he gives you a little more defense. But as I mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, I think we're going to see a plethora of starting lineups this year. I think Lillard is a lock to start, and whatever debate there might have been between McCollum and Henderson, I think it's out the door. CJ proved. He needs minutes, whether it's starting or off the bench. I think he's good enough to give them to him now. Henderson can be a fine veteran presence off the bench, but it looks like Portland's got their chips all in on the Lillard-McCollum backcourt, and they want to see what they've got. I actually think it might be, we might end up seeing more Ed Davis than Mason Plumley along with Myers Leonard. I think those two might pair a little bit better. Your man crush on Ed Davis, bro. You know what? I'm not going to lie. Hardcore man crush on him. I just think he's more of a defensive presence than Plumley. So when you have Myers out there, I think it makes a little bit more sense to have a guy like Ed Davis who's going to do a little more dirty work. Plumley is great on the pick and roll, so he can provide more of an offensive boost. But I don't offense. this team does not need an additional boost of offense in the starters. So I do agree with that's who's going to start. I agree with you of your picks, who's going to start. But we're going to see quite a few different lineups over the course of the season. I wouldn't be shocked if Noah Vonleh starts getting some love 
because of how efficient he's been. But I think that's probably closer to the all-star break when we start seeing Von Lee sniff the rotation, of starting rotation. Mm-hmm. As to our second question, the biggest plus coming out of preseason for me, I think it has to be Noah Von Lee. We knew we got a pretty good bargain when we got Henderson and the ninth pick of the 2014 draft, which was Von Lee, for Nicholas Batum. He showed flashes in summer league, and to put that into a consistent performance over the course of seven preseason games, that was he, he played better than I thought. When I talked to my, my pop during over the weekend, I asked him, Papa, who really stood out to you? And he said, it's that number 21. It's Von Lay. He's really long. He just gets the job done. And I was like, well, if you can catch my 80-year-old Papa's eye, you've got mine too. He played less than a half, so he played 22 minutes in the preseason. He averaged six and a half points, eight boards, and shot 49% from the field. If you go per 36 minutes, he's averaging 11 points and 14 boards. That's, that's beast right there for a second-year player. That, that's, that was the biggest plus coming out of, of the preseason for me. What about you? Seeing what C.J. McCollum could do. Yeah, I, I think he definitely um, answered, answered any critics he had if that Memphis series was a fluke. So we got one more fan question. It comes from at 1977 Zers. Who follows says, me on Twitter at, now. Yes, me as well. I mean, as soon as I saw the enforcer was his name, that's getting an automatic follow. So he asks, at Holy Backboard, of the new players, who do you see making the biggest impact? I'll be honest, this one took me a while to, to think about. I th- as soon as I got this question, I was thinking about it during my day at work, my walk home. I was going through a list of players, but I want to hear your response first, Sage. I'm going to say Ed Davis, but I want to know what the finishing five is. And in a lot of games I've seen, it's Ed Davis at the five. So I think anyone that can contribute in the finishing five role it is important. So I'm going to Davis. Got to steal my man crush, didn't you? It's, I'm not going to say Alfaruk Aminu, so... No, and to be fair, it could have been Alfaruk Aminu for me. Uh, unfortunately, we just didn't get to see enough of him this preseason. Same goes for Gerald Henderson, who I could see making a huge impact for this team, both with his actual play and his intangibles that he that he brings to that bench and locker room. But I'm going to go back to my guy Noah Vonley. I think by the end of the season, he is going to be the player that all the fans are talking about outside of Lillard and McCollum. It's going to be of the new players. So mm. I think he's going to be the one that people are talking about. A close, very close second was, was Mo Harkless. But I, th- I thought Vonley was just a little bit more consistent. Harkless didn't even attempt a field goal in, in that loss against the Clippers. So he has a tendency to kind of um, hide or float, not in the sense of his effort, but in terms of performance. Vonley, whenever he's out there, I feel like he's always around the basket second chance a lot of Kobe assists like you said he's just working for that basketball underneath and that's what I love seeing from a player who would be yours finishing five the last five minutes of the oh. game who's in regardless of opponent well obviously you got the point god Damian Lillard CJ McCollum at the two. Oh, this this is this is where it gets dice this, this is, is where it gets real dicey because there's three options I'm probably going Alan Crabb at the three just because I want that ability to stretch the defense. Yeah. Myers Leonard and Ed Davis. With possibly Noah Vonley because I've been hyping him all podcasts. Those my five. That's my five too. I thought I was gonna be special. I saw your reaction as soon as I mentioned crap. I knew I hit I hit the jackpot. Yep. Cause 
I think spacing on the court is going to be very important in the last five minutes. And Alfred can't do it. Harkless can't do it. I think Crab would be the, the, the small forward. But if Henderson shows me something, he could definitely take that spot as well. You know, and that, I can't believe I completely... I just was talking about him two seconds ago. I can't believe I didn't even factor him into my finishing five. That just goes to show you how many options Coach Dots has at, you know, on his bench. And also goes to show you how you know, easily forgettable people can be when, when they don't play in the preseason. Because, you know, we've been watching these guys over the past two weeks. They're at, they're at the top of my mind. But going back to Alan Crabb a little bit, last episode we were drinking the Kool-Aid. Mm-hmm. And a big reason why it was, was delicious. Oh, it was delicious. Mm-hmm. His performance against the Warriors was delicious. Mm-hmm. In fact, the first three games of the preseason, Crab was averaging 17 points a game, shooting 65% from the field and a ridiculous 58% from three in just 24 minutes. He was dialed in, kind of looking like the hands-down starter, a small forward, and pretty much even better than the player that most expected coming out of Cal after he won the Pac-12 Player of the Year. But over the last few games, watching and listening, I've really seen a lot of inconsistencies in his game, and, and the numbers really backed it up. He only, he's only getting 10 points per game. His shooting went from 65% down to 36%, and his once-automatic three-point shot was only hitting 5 out of 17 times. That's 29%. And he was even getting 7 more minutes per game. I think it got me thinking. It reminds me a lot of a former Trailblazer who I used to crush on big time, Martel Webster. A lot of Blazer fans remember that miracle quarter he had during that 13-game winning streak against the Jazz at the Rose Garden where he had 24 points in a quarter and looked like the number 5, excuse me, the number 6 pick in the draft when Portland took him over Darren Williams and Chris Paul. But as we have seen through Martel's career arc, just an inconsistent player who has flashes of brilliance, but also those inconsistencies. Right now, that's what Alan Crabb looks like to me. I'm obviously going to give him a pass. It's just the preseason. He's really only getting his first real playing time this year. I think it's something to keep an eye out on over the course of this Marathon 82 games. Can Alan Crabb play consistent basketball? I think if he does... That's really good for five-plus wins for the Trailblazers because he just gives Portland another dimension, like you said, to space the floor. One of my biggest concerns about Ed Davis in the finishing five is his free-throw shooting. Somewhere between 40 and 60% from the line. How good would he have to be? How consistent would he have to be for you to feel safe with him in the finishing five? Ed Davis? Yeah, free-throws. None, because his other option is Mason Plumlee, who's the worst free-throw shooter. Unless you want to go Vonley Myers, you give up a little bit of size, but you get more, more offense, uh, more versatility. So, you know, Ed Davis, that's probably why you don't worry about it too much because there's not a really a viable, viable option other than him. But speaking of Mason Plumley, I think of all of the, of the players, one thing that really surprised me was how well he handled the basketball. Like, mm-hmm. After he would get the ball on the break, he would run up. He would kind of initiate the fast break. We saw that Plumley, I believe it was Plumley Vonley, alley-oop, Lakers bigs off the dribble with, it, with, the, with his handles. So I didn't realize he was that skilled. And he was also incredibly efficient. He shot 20 of 29 from the floor this preseason. That's 69%, pretty much unheard of. 
Actually, it's not unheard of. It's what DeAndre does, but all DeAndre does is dunk, so you'd hope it's that high. Haven't seen many, many dunks from Plumlee this preseason. But aside from that, he was kind of, I don't want to say he disappeared, but didn't really leave a memorable impression on me this preseason. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with because he's such a poor free throw shooter. He, sh- he shot 16 free throws this preseason. He made five. That's just unacceptable. He, he needs to become at least a 60% free throw shooter. I don't think that's asking much. His, his form's decent. But like you said with that Davis, if he's in the game, that's such a huge burden on a coach. I mean, yeah, exactly. Doc, but like we've seen with Doc Rivers, he's had to pull DeAndre, who's one of the best centers, because he cannot make free throws. I think another thing that Plumlee needs, he needs that low jumper. He needs to be able to hit a 10-foot jumper on a consistent basis just to keep the defense honest, just to add another, another weapon to his arsenal offensively. Maybe he'll get that next summer. Well, if he wants a big payday, he's going to have to get it during this season. Cause yeah. he's a f- well, hopefully he doesn't get it and stays on the Blazers for the cheap. Do you think we'll see Phil Pressey in other uniform and Amari Johnson? Because those were the two players that got cut, right? Correct. Amari Johnson, no. I think he was always a camp body. Just to give the Blazers another guy to practice against. Pressy, in fact, got picked up by the Utah Jazz off of waivers, which makes a, a lot of sense because of Dante Exum being out for the year. And, and Trey Burke. People can hate on Trey Burke all they want. That dude kills the Blazers. So, coming from my point of view, he's a great player. I mean, <laughs> he destroys us every single time we play them. So, I was actually a little upset that Dante Exum... Obviously, you're, you don't want anybody to get hurt, but I was actually upset that Exum got hurt because that meant more Trey Burke against... Portland, that hasn't worked out. So Cliff Alexander has a spot. Luis... Montero. Montero. Do you think, because they're the 15th and 14th man, do you think they're on the team at the end of the year? Alexander, yes. Montero, again, yes. Really? Don't be shocked if Montero doesn't play hardly at all. I, I One, I don't think he's ready for NBA basketball. He has just got so much raw skills and talent that the Trailblazers are going to use this year as an exclusively developmental year for Luis. Probably will have a coach at his side, kind of like how Travis Outlaw, when he was early in his career, had Monty Williams. He credited him with his development. I think that's what it's going to be this year is going to be like for Montero. A lot of practice is going to be key for him, going up against those guys every day. Alexander, I really would like to see him play a couple of games. From I mean, all accounts, it's he's just been a beast before the injury. I want to see that. It's going to be tough. Blazers already have five bigs right now. Mm-hmm. But again, I think this is another post-All-Star break thing where the playoffs are probably out of the picture. You probably see minutes scaled back for certain guys. So guys like Cliff Alexander can come in and you know play in Por- so Portland can see what they have. Because I was thinking... Both of them are unguaranteed until January. So if there was injury issues, that you got two options to cut and then use 10-day contracts to fill that need. I just don't see how the Blazers would view that risk as a good enough reward. A 10-day contract probably doesn't tickle anybody's fancy. I know it doesn't tickle mine. Um, I think that's why you have Tim Frazier. That's why you kept Frazier. Does I think he could be the cut, guy cut? I mean, possibly. I just, I, I think they like their team. If they do anything, it's going to be a consolidation trade okay. to trade a, two or three guys for one guy because they have so much salary cap that they need to fill so they could bring in a bigger contract. I don't think they're going to make any more cuts or add anybody on the waiver wire. I took a look at it. 
a couple of days ago, and nobody really stood out that that was like, oh yes, we need to get that guy. I'm ready for the real deal. Uh, ESPN updated their power rankings this um, this morning, and the Trailblazers moved up, folks. We're no longer 29th or 28th. You know, we need to cue some sort of like horns and bells and whistles. You know, throw a party. Oh, but we're still worse in the West. I personally don't see it. Even after a 35-point lead that we blew, I still think this team's going to be better than a few teams in the West. CBS also put out um, their season preview. They had four riders who predicted the win, the actual win totals of the Trailblazers. They had 23 wins, 24, 34, and 18 wins. Somebody actually thought the Trailblazers would win just 18 times over the course of the season. I had to double check and make sure that number was correct. Unfortunately, it was. I also looked at all of their predictions. That's 120 predictions. 30 teams Mm. times 4 riders. 18 was the lowest score dished out by anybody to any team. Including the 76ers? Including the 76ers. I also looked back at basketball reference. The only time the Trailblazers have won 18 games was their second season. So you're telling me that this Trailblazer team is is worse as an expansion team from the 70s, you know, GTFO. I mean, that's, again, I hope the players see this because that's just disrespectful. I don't see it happening unless injuries happen. Opening night, my Blazers versus your Pelicans and secondary Blazers. Yeah. We're, we're going to be there. I've got the whole crew showing up. It's going to be me, my wife, you, Matt, my mom, my dad, my papa, we are rolling deep into the Rose Garden, ready to watch Trailblazers basketball. Sage, I'm ready. I'm let's ready. go right now. Let's play. Let's tip it up. Let's get everybody out there. Fill the seats. Let's go. So what's going to happen? You have been, tell, tell our audience, you were in person for, for what game? Again, the Blazers Pelicans? What, what game was that that you were in person for? It wasn't the Pelicans. It was the Hornets. Um, but what happened? I was on a date with a girl. And uh, Damian Lillard hit a shot over Ryan Anderson. It was beautiful. Really ruined my... I, I remember that play perfectly still. And I still troll you so hard with those images. Every time you talk a little bit of noise, you know, I just, you know, go to Google, type in Damian Lillard game winner. You know, I have to sort through a few because he's hit so many. But, you know, I, I, with time, I find the right one, send it your way, and I just know it brings a smile to your face. If anyone wants to know what the play is, Luke Babbitt does a little head screen which forces Ryan Anderson on Damian Lillard, and uh, then Damian Lillard shoots and scores over Ryan Anderson, making me feel really sad and foolish in the process. Shake it off. Shake off the sadness. So give us, you're, the Pel- you're our Pelicans expert. Of the hundreds of fans the Pelicans have, you're probably the most diehard of them, correct? I'd say top ten. Yeah, top ten of a hundred is still really good. Yeah, thank you. Uh, you know, <laughs> in the 90 percentile. So what should what should we expect? Give our listeners a breakdown of the Pelicans. What's the injury situation look like? They've got a new coach. What what should we expect Wednesday night from your team? First off, let me just say, people have asked why I'm on this podcast. My philosophy of breaking down film and learning about basketball is watching it, looking at the advanced stats, and talking to non-biased people that you respect their basketball knowledge. So my goal is to make you guys respect me as a basketball mind. The injury situation is pretty gnarly. We're recording this on Monday. 
Yes, it's Monday, 8.02 p.m. Two people I know for sure are out are Tyreek Evans, which hurts, and Norris Cole, which also hurts. Oshik could play with no preseason. Uh, Jensen could play with no preseason. Quincy Pondexter could play with no preseason. The Pelicans play tomorrow, which is Tuesday, opening night. And I imagine that they're going to play Drew Holiday. Has and, Drew played this preseason? Yes, he, it, very well. But he's on a 17-minute restriction. Does he, that roll over into the regular season? He's only playing 17 minutes? On a start, he is. But then I said they said by January he'll be a 36-minute starter. So, do you think that number will be even lower on a back-to-back? Do you think he, they might hold him out? I'm going to drop some knowledge. They don't even let him practice on back-to-backs. So, I don't think he'll play. So, that's Nate Robinson running the point. You know, <laughs> most Blazer fans are probably rejoicing, but Nate has been a thorn in our sides many of times, and he takes a lot of bad shots, but he has the ability to get hot in a hurry. I've witnessed it firsthand. So... It could be one of those games where it, you just pick a card, and yep. that's just what's going to happen. It, but, you really can't. We're doing our best to break this down, but I really think Wednesday night's game is kind of like um, a wild card. We could see anything happen Wednesday night. So I, I, the starting lineup will most likely be Nate Robinson, Eric Gordon, Dante, Dante Cunningham, Luke Babasol. He's hurt. Uh, Anthony Davis, Kendrick Perkins, or Omar Oshik. I don't oh, know. Please, I pray that it's Kendrick Perkins. Quite possibly the worst center in the entire NBA. Yep. And then Ryan Anderson's the sixth man. Which player on the uh, Pelicans roster, besides Anthony Davis, do you think will have a surprisingly good game? It, when I watch Blazers, it's always some random dude that gets really hot. So who's going to be the random dude on the Pelicans that gets hot? I was going to say Tyreek Evans until you said he was out. Knee injury. I don't want to see anybody get hurt, but for the opening night, that really benefits Portland because he is so good at getting to the hole. Mm-hmm. You know, I think it's going to be Eric Gordon. If Portland decides, if Alvin Gentry is smart enough, he, he will put Gordon on the same side of the floor as Anthony Davis mm-hmm. and force Portland to choose between playing AD straight up or leaving Eric Gordon to come and double. So it could be a long night if Portland doesn't figure that out in a hurry. And Eric Gordon's looked really good. He's he's he getting, can shoot. He he's getting Starless, to overpaid. He can shoot. Oh yeah, he was the second best three point shooter percentage wise last year. But he's getting to the lines an average of seven times a game. And last year he went to the line twice a game. So that he's being more aggressive. He actually dunked it in a game. Do you think the Pelicans Warriors game, whatever the outcome is, will have any effect on Wednesday night's game? I do. If it was me, I would play Drew this game instead of the Warriors because I don't think that they'll win. But I think they'll play Drew his 17. He'll rest the Blazers game because it's a back-to-back. So I think that's going to be very effective because it's all it's Nate Robinson and Ish Smith is the are the point guards. Unless you want to put Eric Gordon as a backup one, which I don't really want to do. So let's kind of go over our keys to the Trailblazers Pelicans. I'll take a look at it from Rip City's point of view. I want your NOLA point of view. My first key, after hearing the Drew Holiday knowledge, it's, it's got to be Damian Lillard needs to get 30. I mm. think he needs to feast on the Pelicans if it's going to be Nate Robinson, Eric Gordon, and Ish Smith. Obviously, probably want to steer clear from, from AD. 
But if you've got maybe Myers or Vonley putting him out of the key a little bit, might give Damien some room to operate. But I think if Damien can get 30, that will set the tone for the rest of the team. I think the Pelicans need Anthony Davis with the ball every half-court possession and let him... You know, remember when Chris Paul was hurt and Blake Griffin ran the Clippers' offense, essentially, through the high to mid-post? He would, like, make the passes. I think that's what the Pelicans are going to do, is give Anthony Davis the ball every time and make him decide what happens. So I think for the Pelicans, it's give AD the ball and... For the Blazers, try your best to front AD. From what he's seven for fourteen from three, he's improved his game so much. It's going to be hard to stop him. But if you can stop him from getting thirty, I think it's a big thing for the Blazers. I would double from Stotts. I do not even let AD get started. So who I take do you my, double from? I do it different ways each time. Mm-hmm. I hope that's what they've been practicing. This the the preseason ended on Thursday. Re- realistically, they should have been preparing for this game mm-hmm. before the preseason ended. Just so you can have over a week of preparation of game film. You know, the coaches need to know which side AD does not prefer to get double team from, what side he's not expecting it to come from. I would you never know, leave Eric Gordon. Never leave Eric Gordon. If it, I, I prefer not to, but if it, if it came to it, I would rather. I would rather Eric Gordon get hot than Anthony Davis. I think he is just too good of a player that when he gets going, he's, he's like a superstar. He is a superstar is. That, that gets everybody else going. So if you can kind of stunt him early on, maybe even force a couple turnovers, get the crowd going, it's opening night, it's going to feel like a playoff environment. If Portland can get off to a good start, I think they might be able to, to outlast the Pelicans. That's another big key of mine. Lead after the first quarter. Whenever you're, you have your home opener, the crowd is just going crazy. You get the special introductions. It's the first time they've tasted real basketball in you know five months. It's very important in those big games to get out to a head start because if you don't, it really takes the advantage away from having home court. Mm. And conversely, if I'm the Pelicans, you want to do whatever you can to slow the game down, limit Portland in the fast break, and probably get to the free throw line as much as you can. Ugly it up. That's nothing takes a crowd out of a game more than whistles and free throws and turnovers. Which is the exact opposite of Gentry's system. Well, th- yeah. thank you. Yeah. I'm it's, I'm glad that is because that, that's that's what I would do. Again, I'm just I'm just a basketball fan. That's it. Yeah. So a Gentry system is very fast paced. I think Ryan Anderson's going to have a big game if the Pelicans win. I, he he has to play well. I know we've talked Pelicans probably ad nauseum over the the course of our friendship. And one of the things that stands out is Ryan Anderson's home road splits. Doesn't play too well away from the friendly confines of the Crescent City. So it'll be interesting. If he can get a shot going, that definitely opens up the entire court for Anthony Davis to operate. If you have... Now, if you have to choose between Ryan Anderson and Eric Gordon to send the double team from, you might not want to if they're both (laughs) flicking. But if one of them... If one of them is off, you'd be like, okay, we'll, we'll make you beat us. The last home opener we went to was um, the 6 7 season. It was uh, B-Roy's rookie year, and Portland was playing another team with a fantastic uh, starting power forward in the Timberwolves, Kevin Garnett. But I uh, seem to remember Juan Dixon hitting the game-winning three. So I'm feeling the same type of outcome 
coming Wednesday night, especially with the Pelicans coming off of a tough, tough, tough way to start the season in Golden State. If this game was played 100 times, the Pelicans would win 60% of them. So I'm going to go to the Pelicans. And I'm sorry. I think Don't Pelicans- be sorry. That's your squad. I just think you're wrong. With all those injuries, I, I don't off of a back-to-back, so you've got injuries, you've got back-to-back, a place your team really hasn't played too well in or had much success in since returning to New Orleans. The Blazers' home opener, we just get it done. I think Portland finds a way. I don't think it's going to be beautiful, but my last key is going to be hustle board. We all see that board up there. It's rebounds, it's blocks, and it's steals. Portland wins the hustle board. They win the game. You scrap, you out, you outwork your opponent. That's what the Blazer fans love. That's what gets them energized. All it's going to take is a couple big plays, and I think the roof's going to blow off that building. Blazers, 107. Pelicans, 102. I think the Pelicans will win... 105 to 95. You're going with a double digit stage. Yeah. Get out. You well, better be ready to eat some crow on the podcast right after if, the game. Hey, if it happens and I'm eating crow, I'm eating crow. I think that about wraps up. It's going to be up, but we're going to come at you with more fire. Like I said, right after the Blazers Pelicans home opener, we will be recording a podcast. Me, Matt, and Sage will have our season predictions. Who wins MVP? Sixth man of the year, who's our conference champions, and ultimately, who will be number one. That's about it, Sage. I had a blast doing doing this with you. I think I'm going to go get ready to watch some Fargo. But again, you can find us at Holy Backboard PDX, at Stitcher, and on SoundCloud. If you want to send us some questions like we had today from our amazing fans on Twitter, hit us up, at Holy Backboard Send us an email at holybackboardpdx at gmail.com. And one more thing before we sign off. We gave a shout-out to our superfan, Kim Thrasher, last time. We have another superfan who is amazing, long story longer, raves about us. We want to rave about you. You are a diehard Trailblazer fan. I hope you get to witness a win on Wednesday night like the rest of Rip City. But thank you for your support. If you have any questions, we'd love to answer them. Um, we'd love to do something nice for you and Kim this season. So be on the lookout as Sage, Matt, and I continue to think of ways to show support to our fans. We love you guys. We love basketball. And we cannot wait. It is almost here. By the time you're listening to this, the season will have tipped off. Let's go, Blazers. We'll see you soon.